This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, good afternoon. It's great to have your company for the Country Hour across South Australia and into Broken Hill. I am Cassie Huff and today you might hear some noises in the background. We've got forklifts going, we've got trolleys going, we've got trucks driving by. That's because I am at the food bank at Edwardstown in Adelaide as part of the food bank drive to, to get food and money for people in need this Christmas. Now, uh, lots of different foods go hand in hand with Christmas, whether it's the cherries you hold out for each year or perhaps you enjoy the treat of seafood and ham on your Christmas table. But for many people, it's a reminder of just how tough things are and just about everyone has felt the effect of increased living costs this year. So that's why the ABC and Food Bank have partnered to raise money and food for people in need. So in about half an hour, you're going to hear from some growers uh, who are donating produce to help with the cause. So there's people who are donating money, there's people who are stopping by all the time, dropping off cans and non-perishable goods, but then there's farmers who also are chipping in with their perishable goods. So we're going to hear more from them in about half an hour. Also, I'll head to the far west of New South Wales soon where graziers are recovering from drought. There's been lots of great rain, but sometimes the season can be a little too good in some ways as well, with fly strike a major concern for sheep producers. You know, if you're losing a couple hundred sheep at 150 bucks a head, 10 sheep, $1,500. If you've lost 100 sheep, well, there's a bit more than that. You could be losing anywhere from 15 to 30 grand worth of sheep from this fly strike event. It's a big issue. We'll have more on that soon. But as we were talking about yesterday, Australia's top machine shearers have reclaimed the Trans-Tasman crown, winning the 2022 Australian Shearing and Wool Handling Championships in Bendigo on the weekend. And for South Australia, it was a pretty successful championships as well. Trevor Bacon is the manager of the SA Shearing and Wool Handling team, and he spoke with Brooke Nindorf about the team results. Overall, went very well. Nearly all, all great. Everybody performed really well. It was really good. The competition was pretty strong, and we had some like, excellent results, though, which was good. What were some of those uh, those exciting results? With the National Australian National Blade Shearing um, Championship, so John Della from South Australia, he came first in that one. So John's off to Scotland with the other team. Um, so that was a, a really good result. Yeah, so he's... Um, National champion, National Blades champion for Australia at the moment, so that's really good. And uh, what about some of the other results? Um, in the Open National, so the team for the Open National to go to Scotland as well is Daniel McIntyre, he was first, and Nathan Meany from South Australia was second, and Sam Mackle from Victoria was third. So Nathan now goes, now goes for that team to the World Championships in um, Scotland, which was a really, really good result for um, Nathan. Nathan also won the open shearing um, event at Bendigo as well, so he had a really good weekend. And uh, and Sarah Haynes as well, first in that uh, in senior wool. Yes, yeah, Sarah won uh, the senior wool handling, so that was another great result. Other ones were novice wool handling. Um, Tony Agnew was third, and Joey Noonan was fifth. Some of the other results was uh, Josie Post from Woodno was fifth in the open national wool handling final. George Jacker from Jamestown was third in the novice shearing development um, team. 
and the senior development, Lockie Reichelt from Riverton came, uh, came forth in that one, yeah. And it wasn't just shearing. When we spoke last time, Trevor, we heard about the judges from SA, but uh, we've, there's one that's going to be heading to Scotland as well. Yeah, Matt Stasnowski from um, the Riverland, he's, um, he's been picked to go over to Scotland as the wool handling judge. So that's, that's really good to see. Matt, <clears throat> Matt's been involved in um, shearing competitions for a lot of years, so it's, it's, you know, he's accomplished something really, really good. Trevor, what was the atmosphere like in Bendigo? Because it obviously had to be put back uh, um, a few weeks because of uh, the uh, the recent weather and, and flooding events. Yeah, the atmosphere was good. It was it was a couple of long, really long days. There was a lot of events to get through, but the atmosphere and the and the, um, the show itself was really, really good. It was probably just a pity it was run by itself without the actual show running for the crowd wise. But even without that, the atmosphere in that um, big stadium was pretty good. It was really good. Who was the toughest competition? Probably all states competed really, really well. Tasmania won the, the um, national team. So every state sort of had their winners. So it was really, really hard to pick, you know, who would who would be outstanding. But overall, I think all the states had a really good, really good time there. And I guess, I mean, pride comes into it to, to go out there and, and, and win these competitions. But what else does a competition like this one mean for shearers right across the country? Well, you, you look at the end result where... Obviously, next year is Edinburgh in Scotland. That's the World Championships. And to make it to a World Championships is a, is a really big achievement um, for people you know, in the industry. But apart from that, achieving just making your national team, um, your state team for your national competition is, is a huge achievement. And for these young shearers coming through, like your George Jacker and your, your other ones that actually didn't make it, like George made it, obviously, but the younger ones, are now looking back and saying, well, you know, gee, I'm going to have to try harder next year and, and try and make this team because that's where you want to be when you when you really have the ambitions to be a top-line shearer. And is this a good place for, for shearers to make connections and, and, and get work elsewhere as well? Absolutely, yeah, because all the states are there. So I think the only state that wasn't really strongly represented was Queensland, but Queensland are struggling with their sports here at the moment and and sheer numbers, but um, yeah, to make connections throughout all the states is is um, really good when it comes to nationals because you you can actually stand there and talk to people, which is which is a real benefit. Just finally, Trevor, how is uh, is shearing going at the moment uh, across uh, not only South Australia but uh, Australia wide? At the moment, I'm in Victoria. Uh, the rain's been you know holding them up a little bit, but as much as it's been raining, they're, they're still getting the jobs done and. Um, it's just, you know, it's going to warm up and people are a little bit behind, but not, not you know, massive amounts behind. It's um, just that everything comes in at once at this time of the year and that makes it really hard for everybody. So, and the rain's just, yeah, double-folded that. Yeah, I've heard some people who were quite held up. That was Trevor Bacon, the manager of SA Shearing and Wool Handling Team, speaking with Brooke Nindorf. They're speaking about sheep, though. It's been a wet season right across this state and into the far west of New South Wales. And uh, a vet says there could be thousands of sheep in that far west region of New South Wales that could be dying from fly strike. Now, the graziers there were well aware of this. They've been preparing for it, but uh, it's still uh, devastating when, when you can't get around or you're stocked due to 
the boggy ground or flooded roads and things like that. Obviously, fire strike is uh, an illness that occurs when, when flies feed off the damaged skin of livestock and uh, it puts uh, livestock at greater risk with this continued wet weather that the far west of New South Wales is receiving. Flying vet Amelia Scott has been travelling across that region and says mass deaths of sheep could be costing the region millions of dollars in lost production. She believes this issue could be faced across uh, lots of parts of eastern Australia because of this increased rain. Every grazier will know at the moment, like it's prime season for fly strike. Yeah, everyone's going to be battling fly strike for for the next six months, most likely. Yeah, we've had a very moist, humid spring. If, if you've got sheep, you're going to have fly strike, and and most people have, are on top of it. Um, but yeah, it's keeping most graziers with sheep fairly busy, trying to trying to get that under control. Whether they're shearing, crutching and dipping them or jetting them to get the keep the flies off. Right, and so what's happening with blowflies at the moment? So so blowflies just Ulicilla species of fly that is the most aggressive wool industry especially. Affect um, your meat sheep as well. It's not just limited to your wool growing sheep. They've had a good shower every week for the last six weeks on them and they haven't had a chance to dry out. Yeah, it's just a perfect environment for maggots to live and have a nice little feast on the back end or mostly the back end or shoulder blades of your sheep. And how has that been impacting different graziers and their livestock? So it's the main reason for losses of sheep in the district at the moment. So if your sheep have been stuck out in the floodwaters, you know, you might you lose a couple to starvation on a little island, but the biggest killer has been with fly strike. So they're getting eaten alive by maggots and dying of shock and septicemia secondary to that. And what kind of losses are there? How big are they? Oh, most graziers are talking in the hundreds. Right, so hundreds of sheep are, are being killed by these blowflies in, on yeah. different stations? like On stations, yeah, hundreds. And, you know, if you look at the district as a whole, yeah, you can start talking about thousands. And so how do you feel about that for graziers at the moment? <laughs> it's always, there's always something against you as a, as, a, as a farmer. It's just a hard battle because places are still fairly wet and flooded and it is hard to hard to bring your sheep into the to the yards. And how do you think this is impacting people financially at the moment? Oh, it is. It's a huge blow. I mean, most people have only just picked up their their numbers from the drought and got back to their, their main breeding numbers that, that they'd normally run. So it is quite devastating to see that you've got a beautiful season ahead of you and everything should be grand. And, and yeah, unfortunately, it's too good a season and and yeah, we're having to work pretty hard to mitigate the effects of, of of what the good weather's bringing with it, with terms of parasites. When you're talking about the market and, and the financial impact, do you know any potential like figures on how much that's impacting the region in general? You know, if you're losing a couple of hundred sheep at 150 bucks a head, ten sheep's fifteen hundred dollars. If you've lost a hundred sheep, well, there's a bit more than that could be losing anywhere from 15 to 30 grand worth of sheep from this fly strike event. But, yeah, and I guess yeah. when you're saying like thousands of sheep in the region, do you know, you know, could it be like maybe around 500,000 or 300,000? Or... 
Oh, I'd put it up more than that. I'd say over the district you're looking at a million, a couple of million dollars worth of, of loss. And when you add the cost in of, of the extra chemicals and the labour and the additional crutching that you're putting into it, the cost of production has just dramatically increased. Mass deaths would be costing the district easily a couple of million dollars. Do you reckon like these kinds of sheep deaths are happening across different parts of Australia? Yes, yeah. I don't know if they would be losing as many sheep in in smaller farming communities where they have small paddocks and are probably it's probably a bit easier to to gather their sheep in and and treat them. Where do you reckon around Australia that it could also be impacting? Oh, it's definitely impacting pretty much the whole east coast of Australia. So yeah, Victoria, the coast of New South Wales. Queensland, they're all having the same issues because they've had a very wet season. So it's not just out here, it's all all the eastern side of Australia. That was flying vet Dr Amelia Scott. Pastoralist Association of West Darling President Terry Smith says it's important for graziers to stay vigilant when managing woolly sheep. Kind of everyone's in a, in a little bit of a different position as to, to where it is, so there's no real, I guess there's no real patch or hotspot of fly activity. It's a, pretty well across the board for anyone who's, who's got woolly sheep and probably to some degree producers need to stay vigilant, as I'm sure they will. If you're looking to treat in the future, then it might be worthwhile to make sure you've got a supply of, of chemicals or whatever you need because I think it's possibly going to be in short demand. President of the Pastors Association of West Darling, Terry Smith, finishing that story by Yusuf Saudi. And uh, we'll keep across that certainly a concerning issue. More to come on the Country Hour. We've got weather coming up and you'll hear more about the farmers who are donating to Food Bank this Christmas as we approach 18 minutes past 12. It's that time of year again. Christmas isn't too far away and a big part of the festive season is giving. Last year, you helped ABC Gives raise $1.5 million for more than 15 charity partners. This year, ABC Radio Adelaide is continuing with our Christmas tradition of teaming up with Food Bank to help others doing it tough. It's just a little way that you can help us make a big difference. So why not get involved? Help brighten our community at abc.net.au forward slash gives. You're listening to Cassie Huff on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. I'll have more from Food Bank in Edwardstown soon. But in the meantime, the River Murray situation still remains a, a very serious situation. If you're affected by the rising River Murray, you may have had trouble getting equipment like pumps or excavators to prepare your property. Well, Riverland businesses say generators have been selling like hotcakes ahead of the first flood peak expected this week. Uh, ben McPhee, who runs equipment hire for grower services at Berry, spruns Eliza Berlage through some of the most sought-after stock this month. Uh, a lot of the excavators uh, to build the banks, uh, skid steers, rollers, uh, generators as well, transfer pumps to, to transfer water out of out of areas that have, since the, the recent rains that we've had, which uh, a lot of uh, a lot of areas of the Riverland were flooded very quickly, so uh, a lot of blocks full of water. And yeah, as you said, um, yeah, uh, the water has been rising quite a lot, um, some big jumps over the weekend, and that first peak is expected in early December. Yeah, have you seen demand sort of steadily increase for equipment, or did it sort of start to spike at a particular time? Just in the last probably two weeks, there's been quite a concern with the rise of the water so quickly too. 
and the availability of machinery. I know just looking around the Riverland with the amount of trucks that you're seeing on the roads that are carting dirt and uh, a lot of big excavators that are coming into the area to, to help build the banks up, but uh, a lot of blockies are concerned with uh, pumps in low-lying areas, having to build, build banks up around them to, to make sure that they're able to water their, their crop. But uh, just in general, just concerns along the river, there's, there's a lot of people that are sandbanked sandbagging at the moment as well as trying to build banks to uh, to save property. The High River event will be going on uh, for quite a long time. Floodwaters aren't expected to recede um, yeah, till sort of February or so. There'll be some High River at least until then. How long are you, uh, some of that equipment expected to be out for? Oh, look, there's anywhere from three to six months. We, we really don't know. We, we really can't put a time on things at the moment because, I mean, even at the end of the flood, there's, there's still going to be the water's still going to be around for a while and I think the, the clean-up effort afterwards, you know, with all the debris running down the river and uh, you know, the stumps, etc. and even after the river levels drop, there's still going to be that clean-up of blocks and, and towns, etc. and, you know, all the dirt the guys are putting out now with all the river banks, you know, that's going to have to be probably taken away as well and, yeah, so, I mean, it could be later in the year too, next year, that... Um, you know, there's a major clean-up and there's still going to be equipment going in and out. I dare say there'll be a lot of work in the Riverland in the next next six months for contractors to come in and ask the floods to help clean up the mess. And we all know what mess floods can do with the, the rise of water and then the gush of water through properties and housing. And uh, so I think it'll be a roll-on effect for, for the building trade as well. And, yeah, I think there'll be... There'll be plenty of people keeping busy, that's for sure. Absolutely. And just to clarify, yeah, how much gear have you got left that hasn't quite been uh, hired out yet? Have you got much stock left? Well, there's still a little bit left. I mean, it comes and goes. I mean, it's uh, guys are frantically building stuff at the moment. They have it for a few days or they have it for a couple of weeks and then they return it and then uh, and the next person's in line to grab it. Have you heard from uh, many other equipment hirers or, or sellers of equipment about their availability or supply and demand? Yeah, spoke to a guy in uh, Nuriupta the other week, and the uh, the high is quite on the go down there too, with with other areas of of the river too. I mean, you've got the the Blanche towns etc. down that way that are probably a little bit closer to Nuriupta with a couple of high joints down there. So they've uh, had plenty of inquiries down there, and there's a lot of big equipment getting brought up to help with the uh, the river banks etc. But you know, the local contractors are doing a fantastic job. Those guys are getting in, and they're, they're They've used us as well, so which is always a great thing that they're using local as well. So, but yeah, overall, I think I think there's enough equipment out there for everyone to be able to make an inquiry and, and get a hire in, and plenty of contractors still around that can be available to help where needed. Grower Services Branch Hire Manager Ben McPhee speaking with Eliza Burlage and you've probably heard that the state government grants of uh, up to $500 for households and $5,000 for businesses are available to help with the cost of purchasing generators. You can get some more information uh, on 1-800-302-787 or you can go to the Emergency Relief Centre at Berry Senior Citizens Club as well. That opened up today so there's, there's some resources opening up at this, the uh, emergency services personnel are going door to door now to more than a thousand homes that are at risk of inundation as the uh, River Murray uh, continues to rise. They're making sure that the residents are well prepared. The current modelling shows a high likelihood of 175 gigalitres of water a day is expected to be flowing into South Australia by early December and then there's that second peak of 185 gig to 
220 gigalitres, admittedly a low probability of that, but still a chance to later in the month. So uh, based on these forecasts, the state government has advised that about 3,500 to 4,000 properties could be inundated, a huge number of properties. Um, and uh, as a result, the analysis also shows that about 450 primary residences are at risk uh, should the flows reach 200 gig a day as well. So uh, out of uh, caution and uh, pers the personnel from the Metropolitan Fire Service, the Country Fire Service, the State Emergency Service and SAPOL uh, are now trying to get out their door knock homes, starting with those most at risk. So if you get a, a knock on your door, that's what they're doing. They're trying to make sure you're safe as the river rises because we've got two peaks coming for South Australia. And speaking about weather, there's probably not too much rain around today, but to, to find out what is happening with weather across South Australia, seen a forecaster Jenny Horvat from the Bureau of Meteorology can update us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cassie. So what are you seeing on the charts? Yeah, look, we're in a pretty stable pattern for the rest of the day and actually for most of the week, Cassie. So we've got a high-pressure system coming across to be situated south of the Bight today. Still keeping the south in a little bit of a milder and southerly airstream. Did see quite a lot of cloud across the southern half of the state this morning, so that kept some of those minimum temperatures not too cold, but we are starting to see that cloud really contracting offshore. Still quite a bit around sort of the southeast and still a little bit here in the metro area as well, but we should start to see some more sunny breaks in the south as the afternoon progresses and then that high pressure system will remain relatively stable for a few days before it drifts off into the Tasman Sea by Friday. So we will still see some pretty light winds out there on Wednesday morning to start with So and we might see some fog patches across the agricultural area at first but that should be pretty short lived. Any shower activity probably contracting well to the south of the lower south for Wednesday and we're really not seeing too much rainfall um, since 9am we've picked up sort of 0.2 of a millimetre at Cape Jaffa and yesterday the 24 hour rainfall totals we only saw a millimetre and about a half at Mount Gambier Airport about a millimetre at Gummaraka so a few falls there as well of sort of 0.2 and 0.4 mostly around the, the southeast. but not too much, you know, and these showers are really drying off and contracting to the south and, and clearing away during the, the week. As those winds start to come around a little bit more east-northeastly, we will start to see those temperatures gradually on the rise. And as we head towards the end of the week, we could see some elevated fire danger as well. So watch this space for that with those warming temperatures and those northerly winds. Again, on Thursday, we could see a little bit of fog around, mostly probably around the southeast districts before that clears off again for a mostly sunny day so we are in this pretty stable and mostly dry pattern as we head towards the end of the week. There is a bit of a trough of low pressure um, on Friday that could just start to come across from Queensland so up in that far northeast corner mostly northeastern Moomba we could start to see some shower and thunderstorm activity developing with that trough and a bit of that moisture from the eastern states but really it's going to be confined to the far northeast of the state for Friday and again on Saturday we could still be seeing some of that activity with showers and thunderstorms with that trough around on Saturday in the far north again mostly sort of around um, Moomba and to the northeast through there those winds are really sort of starting to come around on Saturday and we are starting to see those temperatures 
rising. We do have a change coming through on Sunday, but this is looking like a mostly dry change, so a little bit different to what we have been seeing come through. So it's pretty much just a wind change. We'll probably see a little bit of um, cloud increasing, so we couldn't rule out a little bit of shower activity, but we're not expecting too much with that. And again, as we head into earlier in the week, next week, been a bit of a cooler start, a bit cloudy, maybe some shower activity around the southern and western coast, but at this stage we're not expecting too much. A little bit of uncertainty for the start of next week, but nothing too significant on the cards coming up. And really that rainfall is looking um, pretty minimal as we head towards the end of the week. So some of that cumulative rainfall that we can expect till the end of Saturday, we're only really looking at a millimetre or so about the southern coast, the southern parts of the Mount Lofty Ranges and the southeast districts. The lower southeast could see a little bit more because there's just a bit more there over the next few days, so possibly getting up to a couple of millimetres um, by the end of the week. And then with those thunderstorms in the far northeast for Friday and Saturday, we could be seeing falls probably only of up to around five millimetres there, Cassie. So um, a very stable and dry pattern we are experiencing this week, which is a little bit of a change for the wet November that we have seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is uh, summer is not that far away, so it is, might actually even start to feel like it by the end of the month by the looks of things. Yeah, that's right. So as we head into summer, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it is looking like that with those warmer temperatures and the sunnier skies and even that dry change coming through. It's very more of a summer-type pattern. Sounds like it. Thanks for that. Jenny Horvat there from the Bureau of Meteorology. In the far west of New South Wales, the upper western will be mostly sunny tomorrow. There's a slight chance of a shower in the northeast, maybe a thunderstorm in the northeast as well. Overnight temperatures getting down to 13 to 17 degrees, but the daytime temperatures will reach the low 30s. The lower western will be sunny overnight down to from 10 to 13. Daytime temperatures reaching around about 30 degrees. We've got more to come on the Country Hour with a big focus on this food bank drive this Christmas. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff. Great to have your company today for the ABC's Food Bank Drive. It's a wonderful time of year. It can bring out the best in people, but it can also be a very tough time for people as well. And uh, I must say, a lot of people have heeded this push. Lots of cars are coming into the Edwardstown car park here, donating goods. There's a, a big scale out the front. They're measuring everything that comes in, so they'll have a great guide to just how much food is being donated. So for, for the next half hour or so, I'm going to focus on the fresh food that food that comes in from farmers rather than the, the non-perishable food that is also just as valid but, but from the, this program's point of view it's what the farmers are doing that uh, we like to focus on. It is truly mind-boggling just how much food passes through this depot at Food Bank at, at Edwardstown. They, there are shelves stocked high with uh, lots of produce so uh, between uh, the, the, the farmers and uh, the, the, we've got the veggie farmers, but it's even livestock producers that are, are getting in on the donation action as well. Processed stuff is over three tonne. Wow. Um, and yeah, so it's pretty good. So that's sheep meat coming in. Now, 
lamb has become quite expensive for a lot of people. I think it's uh, not so much on uh, people's uh, plates as it used to be. So the fact that there are even sheep producers donating lamb and, and sheep for, for people to eat, I think that's wonderful for, for people who are perhaps more used to eating that. It's only been in recent years that it's really become quite the delicacy. It used to be a staple of the Aussie diet. So uh, we'll hear from the farmers that are doing that. If you are interested in coming down to the Edwardstown Food Bank, there is a free sausage sizzle on as well and uh, we're starting to see a bit of a crowd uh, meet here the car park is full lots of people bring donations dogs have come along as well so there's a lot of activity here it'd be great to see if you wanted to pop down to 377 crossroad in edwardstown uh, they're looking for donations you can drop them off here you can also go online to abc.net.au slash sa gives or go to any food back center you don't have to come to their Edwardstown one there's there's um sites right across uh, this state, Mount Gambia, Murray Bridge, Wyala, Berry, Sejuna, even up in uh, Alice Springs in the Northern Territory as well. So there's lots of places you can donate. So, so do get in on, on the action and support people who need a bit of help at this time of year. So we've got more coming on the uh, Food Bank and the SA Gives promotion that's happening today at Food Bank. But in the meantime, Matt Coleman has the latest in news headlines. Good afternoon. Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon there are concerns that more than 1,000 primary residences in the Riverlands could be inundated with water in coming weeks as flows increase down the River Murray. The SA government is forecasting that under a worst case scenario, in a more likely scenario about 455 primary residences could be inundated if flows are 200 gigalitres a day. The first flood relief centre set up by the state government opens in the Riverland today. It's located at Berry, with another to open at Manham next week and a third at Murray Bridge. They'll have staff providing advice to people affected by flooding on how to apply for state and federal assistance. And the state government is beginning public consultation on proposed laws to make industrial manslaughter a criminal offence. Under the draft laws, companies that are reckless or grossly negligent in workplace health and safety, leading to the death of a worker, could face a $15 million fine, while individuals could be imprisoned for up to 20 years. More news at 1 o'clock. Thanks for that, Matt. And uh, I'll have more on how Food Bank is working with the, the flood relief authorities as well in the Riverland coming up in the next half hour or so. We've had some more food and, uh, and items dropped off. We've got some bins in front of us that are gradually filling up. And Lee Royans was the founder of Food Bank back in uh, 2000 in South Australia. He still oversees the regional centres for Food Bank and uh, manages the Food Bank Fruit and Vegetable Program that operates out of the SA, food, food, <laughs> SA Produce Markets. He's a very busy man, but he's joined me today. Good afternoon. Hi, Cathy, and hi, viewers. How are you all? We're well, thanks. So it's 22 years since you started this charity in South Australia and now there's huge warehouses with food. We've got lots of people driving into the car park here today. How are you feeling today knowing that there's this big drive to, to get donations ahead of Christmas? Well, Grateful's always where I start from, Cassie, so that would be the first sentiment to express to everyone who's uh, pitching in and making an effort. And uh, whether they're calling into the centre today or whether they'll follow it on with later donations, etc., there are uh, a magnitude of people and businesses that reach out and lift up their hands and help Food Bank to do the work that we do, um, which is supporting our community uh, as it needs it, whether it's day-to-day -day or 
whether they're in long-term need or long-term support, or through very, very tough times like natural disasters, which we all face now. So grateful is the starting sentiment, and from there, everything else flows, which is um, making sure that we're doing the asking and the calling out, and with uh, your help, with the ABC's help, we're getting that message across loud and clear. I guess a little bit proud of everyone involved, um, whether it be the staff team um, who now drive and lead the next era of food bank, I guess I'm the historian of the archive or the old man of food bank, so to speak. But I get to look back very proudly at the achievements of a lot of hardworking people, in particular a call out to our volunteers, a thousand volunteers who reach out and help us day to day to make our services happen at the coalface um, and who do it with empathy and understanding and... Uh, uh, and an open heart. So thank you to all of those people. You might be the, the founder, but you're still very much involved. You, you work with the SA Produce Markets. How have fresh donations gone this year, given there have been storms and hail damage? What's that meant? Uh, it's been tough, um, and, and it's tough at many, many corners for people who, you know, are our ag centre, um, heart and soul of this country. Uh, if they don't get bashed around by, by drought in a particular era, they're getting hammered by, as you mentioned, storm and tempest. Um, uh, and and now, of course, those on the Riverland are facing uh, the pressures of rising waters that spills out into their farms and into their pumps and into all sorts of infrastructure. Um, so it's not easy work, and they're an amazingly good-willed and generous mob um, so my special thanks to all of them who help us, and there's well over 100 growers, wholesalers, uh, pack houses, uh, whether they be the partners inside the Paraka market, uh, our principal number one hub uh, for horticulture in this state. So thank you to the board and the exec team up there that drive that and all of the wholesalers who give generously uh, sometimes we don't even know what's coming. There'll be product there tomorrow morning that I had no idea was coming, but they'll have a look at what they've got as they trade and they'll work out what they might be able to share to food bank to lend a hand to people in need. Um, so, and then there's, there's called, there's people that have just donated generously in today into that centre we run out at uh, the Praka Market. It's about a thousand square metre centre full of cool rooms out there. Maybe one day you can join me out there, Cassie, and I'll show you around. I've been um, out there a, f a few times, but uh, not yeah. to your site, but out to the markets. But I uh, was um, wondering, with the with the hail and damage, has that affected the amount of produce you're able to get from producers? Is there more available because it's not well, uh, necessarily first quality, or is there less? Well, you always do get some knockdown, some some um, damage that happens as a result of. Um, uh, storms, there's no doubt about that. They've got to be careful because um, all that product has, comes at a cost um, to them, you know, cost of, of operations. So they've got to make discretionary decisions. They've, they've got to run their business and try and pick first quality products so that um, and the expectations of retail market customers is for good quality produce, of course. Um, but that allows us to have uh, some, as you rightly call it, generous donations that come to 
us that it may be a little marked or a little damaged, but the integrity of the fruit or vegetable is still intact and perfectly okay for us. So, yes, we do see um, all of that product come through to us, but we also see some very generous first-quality giving continually as well. I mean, today there's over three tonne of nectarines uh, that have arrived down, 22 bins, uh, fruit bins full of nectarines that have come from one of our Renmark um, uh, generous donors who, who would be going through a very tough time themselves trying to work out how they manage the months ahead. Um, so to QFM and the team up there, thank you very much. Uh, Quality Fruit Marketing for all they're doing to help us in season now. Our citrus donors in the Riverland have only just finished their cycle for uh, citrus this winter through the winter and uh, latter season. And so thanks to them for all their generous giving that's run right through the winter time and into the spring as well. So um, It's so good we... that there is a home for this this second fruit that, that may have uh, been affected by, by storms as well, but then also the first quality. Because I just went through the cool room here at Edwardstown, and I must say, it's very good quality. I would never have picked it as seconds for it. Is, it is absolutely something you would pick up normally anyway. So, so the quality is still there, even if it has been knocked down to a, a second or third grade quality. Indeed, indeed. We're a fussy breed, aren't we? Uh, people that, that trade at supermarkets that have this expectation. I'm not sure whether the supermarkets themselves drove that or whether the consumer did, but I grew up uh, with, with uh, some farm stock or Adelaide Hills farm stock, and, you know, when you're picking uh, apples and cherries uh, in the family, you know, you notice that things grow imperfectly as well. And there's nothing wrong with the integrity of that. So... Um, hopefully the world shifts a little and, and learns to accept that nature provides generously and abundantly, but sometimes it's not always perfect, and that's okay. Um, so meanwhile, the growers and wholesalers and pack sheds keep supporting us, sometimes, as I said, with first-grade product and sometimes with uh, lesser grade. We'll take all and be very, very grateful for it because the need is growing uh, and getting more significant on us um, year by year, unfortunately. Absolutely. So yeah. um, just yeah. out of the, the Riverland last year, there was 600,000 mills, um, so, sorry, nearly 700,000 mills delivered out of that service alone. And all of the country uh, areas have similar footprint uh, and are doing similar amazing work. You know, it is, and we produce such wonderful quality fruit in this state, so you're really not going to get anything bad regardless of what it's been deemed to be quality-wise. Thank you so much for joining me today, Leroy Enns, the founder of Food Bank in South Australia and still manages the, the Food Bank Fruit and Vegetable Program out of the SA Produce Markets. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Cassie. As I said there, Lee Royans speaking there. So talking about largely fruit and vegetable produce there that's been donated, but I find it amazing that uh, it's not just fruit and vegetable that can be donated. There's a group of farmers that are, or graziers, that are also contributing, but dropping off something perhaps a little bigger. A few years ago, the Lions Club of Tintinara found a way to have sheep donated for meat to be used for food bank and the donations have grown from there as President Jim Cunningham explains to Brooke Nindorf. Yes, about uh, two years ago we, um, one of our members came up with an idea that there were sort of off-grade um, sheep that have, weren't suitable for processing through the mainstream uh, abattoir system 
And uh, this was an asset that we believed that was going to waste because um, they, they weren't able to go through the mainstream abattoir system. And so we came up with an idea with the licensed uh, abattoirs at Tail and Bend to um, uh, process the sheep. Then they were um, made available to a uh, food bank. So this would be so meat that would generally maybe not be accepted into a, a supermarket and things like that? That's exactly right, yes. And, and uh, also the, the, the larger abattoir systems just weren't set up to be able to handle uh, small batches of sheep for processing. Oh, so, so it was um, if we found, and we did, find a, a small uh, private abattoir facility and we've had a very good working relationship with them and um, the processing is done under licensed criteria. And there's nothing wrong with this meat, is there? Not at all. No, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And, and uh, it's just that it doesn't fit in the mainstream system. Similar to what we see with, uh, I guess, you know, the fruit and vegetables that, uh, that might be rejected as well. Yes, that, that's a pretty good analogy. It, it is. It's very much like that. Now, Jim, how, since this program has started, how much meat do you think has been donated? Uh, um, well, processed stuff is over three tonne. Wow. Um, and yeah, so it's pretty good. And um, the future looks even better uh, because now it was, to begin with, it was the Tindanara Club that was uh, driving it and then with the benefit of the uh, uh, lions in South Australia, we were able to um, cast the net a bit wider and uh, we're looking further again so that it will cover all of the farming areas of, of South Australia and that they're the ones that will supply or find the sheep and um, and then the other uh, suburban clubs will um, provide the finance to, to cover the cost of it. Is it a, is it a big cost to, to get this happening? Oh, it, it's a very good value for, uh, for money because the sheep were, were, were not going to be used for anything. That's the point. And um, so by lions getting involved in it and we uh, collect the sheep and, and um, take them to the abattoirs and um, that's where they're processed. And the future now is that it will cover a much bigger area. So we, we got uh, approximately three tonne in the last batch that went through. Uh, we could be looking at, uh, well, double that at least in the future. What has been the, the response from other Lions groups about wanting to get involved? Very good, actually. The part that we played in it, I suppose, that we started it off and um, when we asked for help from the from the um, higher accolades of, of um, lions, the uh, that's when things really started to move because uh, there were clubs that were contacting us with um, donations of funds and also with sheep that we hadn't had contact with in the past. So it looks pretty good. Is there other options down the track? That uh, obviously sheep is is what you're um, doing at the moment, but is you know um, uh, maybe beef or, or or chicken that kind of thing? Well, we we have already processed some beef, three bodies of beef that that, that was done that was donated, and um, yeah, that that part of it could grow. I, I like with uh, chicken. I don't know. It's not something that I've had much to do with, but. Uh, Yes, there's certainly uh, potential for the more beef and uh, and quite possibly even pigs. 
Jim, have you heard through Food Bank how this has helped local families? Well, about 12 months ago, we um, uh, we were invited down to uh, Food Bank's uh, outlet in, in Adelaide and we were shown through the, the, the uh, warehouse and so on. And uh, I was really staggered at the size and scale of what they do and how efficient they are. And they, uh, in many cases, they use the uh, uh, volunteers to pack hampers and things like that. And there's very, very little waste. Anything that's like vegetables and so forth that are past their prime uh, are processed into compost. <laughs> so, you know, they don't waste a thing. And I was really impressed and, and uh, well, it was three or four of us went and had a look through the, the uh, warehouse and the, and the uh, facilities there and it was unbelievable. It's a very well-run organisation and if we can contribute to the success of that, then I think it's worthwhile. And just finally, Jim, if, if someone wants to get involved, uh, a local farmer is, is listening to this, that they might have some, some sheep spare, what can they do to get involved? Just get in touch with the local Lions Club. Uh, they will take it from there. Jim Cunningham, president of the Tintinara Lions Club, speaking with Brooke Nindorf. There's all sorts of ways that you can get involved with donating. You can donate a sheep like they have at the Tintinara Lions Club or you can go online to abc.net.au forward slash gives. Or you can call into the food bank centres. There's obviously the one in Adelaide where we're broadcasting from today at Edwardstown. But there's also locations in Mount Gambia, Murray Bridge, Wyala, Berry, Seduna. There's lots of places. There's even mobile uh, centres as well in Peterborough and Kadena, Port Lincoln and Clare as well. So there's lots of places. Or you can call 83151136. That number again, 8351. 1136 if you want to donate as well because uh, that's what this is all about is trying to get as much food and uh, money as possible to provide food to people right across this state who need a bit of help this uh, summer and this, this Christmas period. One man who's been involved with this I think just about since it, it kicked off is a Renmark stone fruit producer Michael Trotwine. Good afternoon. How are you Kathy? I am well, thank you. Now, I said from the start, but it was actually uh, when the bushfires, those uh, bushfires at Pinery that did so much damage at the end of 2015, uh, and there's a call out for support then. That's when, when you came on board. What was it about supporting Food Bank that, that made you want to support the organisation? Well, there's, there's a fantastic need for people to eat healthy food and fruits are healthy food. So often when people are struggling with money, they... they you know, fruit is an expensive item, particularly peaches and nectarines, so they don't get access to it. So we were keen to support that so those people could still eat some nice fruit and veg. I have gone through the uh, warehouse here at Edwardstown and I was struck by just how good the quality is. Now, I think you don't necessarily send your first quality produce here, but it doesn't seem to make much difference by the, the sounds of things. What sort of quality do you deliver? Well, we, we deliver what we call third grade, so we supply both the export market, the wholesale market and the, domestic, and the supermarket in Australia. So we've had a bit of hail this year, so mainly what you're seeing in the third grade is uh, fruit that's had a bit more hail damage than we can like, but it's, it's got nothing wrong with it internally. No, it's a beautiful quality from what I've seen. How much have you donated this year? 
Uh, I think we sent off about three to four tonne last week and we'll probably do a few more tonne each week next two or three weeks. And just how bad was the hail damage where you were? Um, it varies. We, the, we have orchards across the region, so it varies where the orchard was. So in the block I'm standing at the moment, it's probably 50% of the crop will be downgraded. Okay. And are there many growers around you? Who is it a, a thing that a lot of you get involved in, donating to, to Food Bank when you can't necessarily use some of the fruit you produce for your traditional markets? Uh, yes, there, there were other growers supporting it, uh, but stone fruit growers have enlarged leaving the industry at the moment, so we're one of the few growers left in the industry. So, um, so I, I don't know what other people are doing, but yes, in the past there have been. Yeah, there's been a massive um, load of, of mandarins, I think, uh, donated just today. I think, what did they say, about three tonne or something like that? I'd have to, I can't remember exactly what uh, Lee Royans was saying there, but uh, some great donations there. And you're sending off fruit every week, so it's not just a, a one-off. It's every, every week or every couple of weeks that you're sending fruit? Yes, we try to send every week, so uh, we have to treat it for fruit fly before we can send it. So we just accumulate enough to send. So it is, and it's part of our, the, our business group. So recently we took on board a new owner in our business and uh, he, he is committed to supporting Food Bank and thinks it's a fantastic cause to support. Has fruit fly made it difficult to donate? Uh, we just need to treat it. Not, not really, we just need to be just organised. Okay. Well, that's good to hear because it's certainly caused a lot of issues in the, the Riverlands. So uh, it's good mm. it hasn't uh, hindered your ability to do uh, um, the, the donations that you'd like to. And uh, there are regions hopefully coming out of uh, the fruit fly, fruit fly restrictions uh, at the uh, what end of next month. Everyone's got fingers and toes and everything that they possibly can cross to, to yeah. um, hopefully see no further uh, detections in the Riverlands so that the area can... Um, have this uh, fruit fly restrictions removed from the area so mm. ho hopefully that is the case thank you so much and I, I mean i find what i find with the food bank is that it's it's nice and direct you donate and you can sort of see where it goes straight away that's something that i like about food bank as a charity is that something that you enjoy as well it's in 100% but going to where it's needed there's, there's no the extra costs we, we don't see them, but, you know, 100% of what you donate goes to people who are in need, and I think that's fantastic. And uh, Lee Rines and Greg Patterson and Pete Smith up here, they do a fantastic job. And one of the reasons we were prepared to support was when Lee came and saw us all that time ago and his passion and his commitment to people in difficult times, you know, we, it was very hard to refuse. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're very busy, so I'll let you go, but uh, thank you for your donation. Thanks, Cathy. Bye. Ren, Renmark Stone Fruit producer Michael Troutwine speaking there. Now, uh, Peter Smith has joined us on the line from the Berry Foodland office. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Now, are you busy right now? <laughs> that is an understatement, I would say. I am just trying to get something to eat, but it's uh, not happening. No. What, what's it like there at the, the Berry Food Bank at the moment? Oh, it's reasonably busy. There's people up there boxing off um, red collies that we get in bin, bin loads of and capsicums, 
zucchinis. We're getting lots of stone fruit lately. And we had 22 bins of nectar in yesterday for Mick Trout Lens at QFM, which is great. So there's a lot to work with. The bins basically go through to Adelaide, most of them, but we still keep some here and we box them off and get the uh, purse of paperwork because a lot of the fruit flies out there. But he does something to them, drenches them or dehydrates them or gets them all uh, fruit fry flea. So we can then deliver it to the schools and to the agencies around the Riverland. Wonderful. Speaking of the mobile hub, so it's all good. It's a busy time of the year with the Christmas hampers, the normal hampers, the rising floodwaters. I've just had a meeting with um, Emergency Relief down here at Seeing Senior Sit. Just got out of there. They're about a, they've had a steady flow through their first day. They've had about five customers in need, so um, it'll get better as the water keeps coming up. There'll be a few more rows going out, I think, unless they get to quickly with another levy. But Boxton to Berry Road, I believe, just. It's touching the road, the bitumen now, so they'll probably be gone tomorrow. Right, so, yeah, she's rising quickly. It's sort of 20-odd centimetres every day, it sounds like, from people. Now, you just mentioned it there. This, you, the food bank is the state government's food supply for uh, um, people who were struggling f uh, for food in the Riverland as this um, flood uh, measures kick into gear. It's been activated. I think it was activated today. So what uh, does that mean? Well, that means we've got a warehouse full of stock. <laughs> we were proactive there with the management team in Adelaide and the warehouse. They sent me up lots of small hampers, large hampers, and all the general staples like you know, harvest products, peas and carrots, and that stuff to get people out of trouble if they are suddenly stuck and without food. So we've got plenty there to... Well, well we don't know what's going to happen, but we've got plenty there in anticipation. So we will always be able to survive. I will touch base with the emergency relief every couple of days to see how it's going and make sure they get a good supply of hampers down there. And yeah, just play it by ear as we go along. I understand quite a lot of food is being directed your way as well to make sure that people who do perhaps uh, suffer through this flood emergency situation that is developing, that they will have access to food. I'll let you keep going because I know you're very busy, but thanks so much for having a chat with me this afternoon. Oh, that's fine. Thank you very much. Peter Smith, the Riverland branch manager for Food Bank Riverland. So he's a very busy man there today. We, it's just about all we have time for today. But Greg Patterson, who is the CEO of Food Bank here, joins me. I'd love to get a tally on just how much has been raised so far today. Good afternoon. Hello, Cassie. We've had a lot of cars coming in. We've had these scales have been working pretty well. What are we up to? We're up to 123,000 um, meals now. Right. Uh, which is fantastic. Our target, I think last year we did 130,000, so we're well on track to, to Oh, you're going to smash that. that. Yeah, we hope. We <laughs> hope. But, um, you know, the, the sad thing is, you know, we would hope that, we hope that there is no need for food relief in, in South Australia. We all hope that people have the means by which they can get food, and un but unfortunately demand for food bank services is increasing, not decreasing. So, so the support we get from, from the South Australian community and the ABC listeners is really essential for us to be able to achieve the things that we do. Absolutely. And uh, we've been uh, pushing for donations. As we've been saying, you can go to abc.net.au forward slash SA gives or you can go to any food bank centre, can't you? And, and you do donate. And, and we're talking of food, and food. I mean, the country, our focus is on food, but it's not just mm. food that people can donate, isn't it? No, exactly. No, the, um, the funds that we donate if they can donate to the ABC website or the or Food Bank SA website, foodbanksa.org.au. 
every dollar that we get donated, we turn that into two meals for people. So we, we use that money to buy food. It doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to any of the staff. 100% of our food donations goes to buying the essential foods that we need to meet the demand. So things like milk and meat and rice and pasta sauce and things like that. So um, I do encourage people to, to reach out at this time of the year. It is, it is tough for many, many families. And cost of living is, is obviously still an issue. So, yes, as, uh, that was Greg Patterson. As he says, do donate. There's more to come from Edwards Town Food Bank. Very quickly, Caroline Winter, what are people in store for this oh, afternoon? Cass, we're going to continue the fun. We're going to continue the donations. We've got some music. We've got some cooking. It just doesn't stop with us. And we've both actually got our high-vis on. We do. We look very official, don't we? We do. More to come on your ABC local radio as we approach 1 o'clock. It's been great to have your company here at Food Bank Edward Sound. Afternoons with Caroline Winter. I say bring back the drive-in. Oh, the drive-ins. The long walk down to the cafe or the diner. Caroline Winter, ABC Radio South Australia. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.